We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. My name is Jari Bolander. Welcome to the Entrepreneur Ethos Podcast. On this podcast, we're going to take a deep dive into the traits, values, beliefs, and skills of all sorts of entrepreneurs to learn how to build a more ethical, inclusive, and resilient world. Let's get started. David A. Knatzer describes what he does as being part of making a good story happen. David is a voiceover actor who narrates audiobooks, including my book, The Entrepreneur Ethos. I was struck in particular by how David brought the right emotional tone and depth to my book. You'll hear what I mean when you listen to the audiobook, which you can get everywhere audiobooks are sold. Links are also in the show notes. Making stories come to life. David always loved acting and making funny voices, but it wasn't until later in life that he decided to pursue a voiceover acting career. He started out contributing to a local radio station, then pursued training in his hometown of Nashville. He's now narrated a number of audiobooks and continues to grow his company, Storyline VoiceOver, after being advised that cultivating a career in the arts also means building your own business. In this episode, David and I chat about what it means to be both an entrepreneur and an artist, and how both involves taking risks and maybe feeling just a little bit awkward. We also talk about how being an entrepreneur doesn't have to be an all-or-nothing thing, since not all entrepreneurs can quit their job and dive right in right away. I also wanted to say special thanks to Joanna Penn, who told me about Findaway Voices, which is where I connected with David and created the audio version of the Entrepreneur Ethos. 
It was a pretty painless process, and I really like how the audiobook came out. You can hear a sample of it at the end of this episode. Now, let's get better together. David A. Knatzer, welcome to the podcast. Greetings, fellow humans, and thanks, Jari, for having me on today. Yeah, and I, man, I'm excited to talk to you because this is literally the first time we've seen each other and met each other over Zoom, of course, since we're, you're, I'm in San Francisco and I know you're somewhere other than San Francisco. Um, and you actually, you know, narrated the Entrepreneur Ethos book, which I am so excited about. And we'll talk a lot about more about that in a second. Uh, because no one knows that I actually did this. This will be the first time anyone's actually like, here it is. Uh, but before we get into all that, I'd love to hear your story on how you got to do what you're doing today. Well, uh, as a kid, I was always doing impressions and zippy sound effects and weird noises. And I've always loved movies, adventure shows, comic books, cartoons, always in love with a good story, always either glued to a screen or with my nose in a book. And it wasn't anything that I actually worked with until 2010 when I got involved with a Nashville radio show where I got to write short weekly commentaries on news events from a biblical perspective. And I would record those commentaries and send them in. Now, the hosts, uh, they introduced me to their friend, Joe Lesh, who's an international award-winning voice actor, voice coach, producer. And Joe is just an amazing human being. His, his family are just dynamite people. And I studied under him, and he produced my first demos, and I got into the game that way. And a couple of years after that, it was in a, at an anime convention in Nashville uh, where I met Eric Stewart, who, aside from being a Nashville musician of note, is the voice of Planters Peanuts, and he used to voice Brock and James on Pokemon, and he was a Kaiba on the first Yu-Gi-Oh! story arc. He said that a good place to start in VO was in audiobooks, so I started working with ACX.com, which of course is a part of Audible, which is a part of Amazon, so uh, Mr. Bezos, hi! Uh, a couple of years after that, the folks at Findaway extended me the opportunity to work with them, and I cannot say enough good things about the team at Findaway. Their support team has been great. They've sent me you know, a really good chunk of work over the past three years, and they've always been a big help to me, so... That's where I'm at at this point. Wow. Yeah, that's where I found you on Findaway because uh, I actually found Findaway from Joanna Penn, who I've actually had on the podcast, who's an entrepreneur, writer, all around great person. She actually was plugging it on her podcast. And I'm like, you know what? I need to get this audio book done for you know the entrepreneur ethos, right? So um, that's why... I sort of reached out through Findaway and and found you. Um, but I mean, you don't work for Findaway. You actually have your own company. C can you tell us a little bit about your your own company and kind of how you got to form it? And I know we hear heard a little history about how you became voiceover. Is it an actor? Do you you, you consider yourself a voiceover actor, or what? What's the term of of, of trade? Oh, gee, uh, there, there's a wide variety of terms of uh, voiceover, voice talent, voice actor. Um, there, there is a lot of acting that goes in, but sometimes there's stuff that is just straight long form narration, uh, e-learning, uh, uh, telephony. 
there's so many different applications for voiceover. However, even in the things that you would think are just kind of everyday humdrum, uh, there's still, I think, an acting element into it because you still have to adopt a character for the purpose of helping your client tell their story to their customers. So even in an e-learning gig, you're not just going to read the script and give the information. To, no, no, you, 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 have to, you have to dress it up. You have to give it some punch. You have to make it something that somebody's going to want to listen to. Otherwise, there's no point in having this here microphone. Hmm. Yeah, that's, a, that's actually interesting because, I mean, the reason I ask is that my future sister-in-law, Rebecca, is a actress and also a voice actor or at voice actress. And this is the, that was, she was the first person that I ever knew that actually did something like that. And, you know, she would be like the automated voice uh, mail or the, the, the phone tree for like a major company, right? Like the person that would mm-hmm. say hello and welcome to, you know, <laughs> and I'm and like, as, oh, as much as so many of us hate having to listen to phone trees, at least a good voice actor can at least try to give you something worth listening to. Oh, for sure. And I think what's the beauty of it is uh, that, you know, I, I never knew how hard it was to do voice and to read from a script until I started doing a podcast. Because everyone thinks, oh, all you got to do is like read the page. But it's actually a lot more complicated than that. And I and I appreciate the fact that you said that it's, it is acting and it's emoting and and. and that's part of the reason I really liked um, your audition for the book, uh, because it's important that the style and tone of who I am comes through. And and I know a lot of authors like do their own as an example, but I, but from doing a podcast and trying it myself, I was no way I was going to do it on my own because I just, it, it's different for me than just, you know, kind of writing it down. And and so how, how is, how do you approach like a piece of work like this? I mean, of course you've, you're probably the only person other than my mother and my fiance that have read the entire book probably twice. <laughs> and, uh, and, and so how, how do you approach that? Because I know a lot of people are interested in having people read their work or have to hire voice talent. Um, and there's, there's gotta be like, I don't know. It just seems to me that there's a method and a process that just makes it easier or more professional. I don't know. What What do you think? Well, I, I wish that there was a scientific answer that I could give you, that there's a, a formula that you plug in and it just gives you the answer that you need. But if that were the case, then you wouldn't ever have to hold auditions. You know, everybody would know the, how to run the script. And But I think... A lot of times when you go through the manuscript, you can sort of pick up a a tempo and a flow. You know, if you try reading it out loud, you can find sort of a comfortable pace and you can pick up some clues from what the author is saying to kind of try to figure out who their voice is, even without actually having heard their voice. Although I, I will say when I, uh, when, when you first actually accepted the, the request my, and, and selected my audition, I went and started Googling you. And that's, a matter of fact, funny story. 
on our first extended sample when I sent in the credits and you had to correct me on the pronunciation of your name, what messed me up is when I Googled you and looked you up on YouTube because I figured, okay, if he's on YouTube, I'll hear somebody say his name. And what was the first thing I got to? An Australian interviewer. <laughs> and we're here today speaking with Mr. Jiry Bolander, the author of the Alternate Ethos. <laughs> and that messed me up. Uh, and you had to set me straight on that. Yeah. But with a name like Kanatzer, I do care about other people's names. Yes. You know, yes. All been through that. No, so. and, and I and I appreciate that. Yeah. My, there's more people that mess my name up than I can I can even count on fingers and toes. Um, um, and of course, uh, you know, a script will always give you surprises and they will give them in an unexpected place. And I think the one, the, the one piece in the book, and this is going to sound weird, the dedication in the book, yeah, I think was the one thing that more than anything else, uh, helped me find your voice. And that was the one piece of the book that I really, really wanted to treat with great care and respect. And, uh, and I think, you know, that, that certainly, uh, I think helped, uh, carry through for both of us. Yeah, no, no. And, and I really appreciate that. And, um, you know, when I do hear it, even thinking about it, I get a little, a little choked up because, um, it was beautifully said and, um, I, you know, honestly, I don't think I could have said that if I was to have done this audiobook. I, I don't, it, it would have taken me a million years to get through that. I, I've said that sort of stuff before in speeches. Um, and, and for those of you that don't know, the dedications to my late wife, Jane, um, who inspired the book and who passed away from leukemia. I've, I've talked about her before on the podcast. Um, she passed away th- uh, three years ago in 2017. Um, but yeah, the way you handled that was, I mean, every time I hear it, 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 it a tear comes to my eye because it's just so beautiful. Um, not only it's my words, obviously, and of course I, I write great words, <laughs> but, the, <laughs> but the way, mm-hmm. I think it was the kind and considerate tone and the emotion that felt like, like it, it's how I feel about, it. I mean, you, 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 you spoke the words on how I feel in my heart when I say it. And that is really hard to do. Well, like, like I said, that, that part really let me hear what your voice is. And I'm not just talking about the tones that come out of your throat, but, uh, you know, you trying to say what you're trying to say. I mean, uh, the, the rest of the material in the book, I'm sure you've talked about, you know, numerous times, not just on the podcast, but to all of your business associates and friends and everything else. But, uh, but your dedication to Jane, uh, that, that was your heart and you know, that that's, that's not something to be taken lightly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you for that. Like I said, it, uh, it, yeah, it, it turned out really well and everyone of course is going to have to now download the audiobook <laughs> so they can hear it for themselves. Uh, cause you, again, you did a great job and, and the material, you know, what, 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 what was hard for me in, in making this decision? Cause I, I did think about like, Hey, why don't I just do it? Um, and I'm sure a lot of people have been, are 
curious as to why that would be the case. Like why, you know, a lot of authors do that. And the thing that I really kind of settled on, and it was after I listened to all the auditions uh, through Find Away Voices, which is a great, a great place to do this. And, you know, special thanks to Joanna Penn for turning me on to them. I'm definitely going to write them and say, you should, you know, give, give Joanna credit for, <laughs> for connecting mm-hmm. us together. Um, what really kind of set it apart is the amount of effort and emotion and time and thought that that would kind of go into saying you know what 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 you did in your audition and actually what a lot of the 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 ones that I looked at did uh is that it's hard if if so if you're not practiced at doing this I mean even doing a podcast you think oh I could do a podcast of course I can narrate a book no you can't <laughs> actually it's really hard nope. because because the the cadence of it and the the material it, it's a different it's like the difference between writing a script and acting a script, I think, personally. Um, do, do you find it that way, too, that that there's some things that maybe in the words you're kind of like, oh, what the heck does he mean here? And how am I going to bring this to life with, you know, without changing it? There have been some occasions here and there uh, that I've actually had to get with an author and say, um, I'm having a little trouble with this passage uh, whether it's the way it's worded or if um, somehow uh, some really bad typos snuck through the editing. And I know if, if I just read the script as it is, it, it's it's going to be a, a wreck. And, and the last thing that you want is to take the, the listener out of the material, whether it's a story or whether it's informative. They can miss a good 30, 45 seconds of content just because they're going, man, what was up with that paragraph? That was just really weird. And I just, what did he mean? When this is it? And, and next thing you know, is he's hitting that backup button two or three times. Um, so it's, it's not unheard of. And of course, I mean, you know, the writing process is a craft in and of itself. And so there really has to be a, a synergy oftentimes between the author and, and the VO when, the, when it comes to audio books. Uh, just because, again, you know, you're trusting some stranger to take your baby and uh, and 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 help it grow some wings and fly. Yeah, uh, so uh, so true, it's so true. I was a little nervous. I won't lie. <laughs> <laughs> hey, uh, well, and that that baby analogy has has uh, really helped me uh, to uh, to treat authors' works, you know, with respect. You know, you're not. This isn't my story. This is this is your baby, and you're putting it in my arms for a little bit, and hoping I'm going to take good care of it. Uh, you know, and so like I said, I, I guess maybe it it sounds redundant. I've, I keep saying this, you know, respect what the author's trying to say, but you can't get around it. Now, I guess in in the meantime, if it's all right, if I ask you a couple of questions, of let's, let's um, yeah. Take this, uh, mutual here of course yeah for sure now, as as somebody who leans more towards the artistic end of things you know i usually see the creative process in artistic terms you know mm-hmm. you get your inspiration you do your first sketches or your rough drafts and you refine the process oftentimes until you reach a point where even if it's not what you would call perfect you know that if you put one more stroke of paint on that canvas or put one more sentence on the page, one more chord on that sheet, and the whole work is going to come undone. 
you know, it, it reaches a point where it gets as good as it's going to get. And you either put it out there for the market to love it or hate it, or you hide it away or you discard it. Now, I know that sounds a little weird, but in relation to entrepreneurship, would you consider developing the minimum viable product as a parallel for how the design process works in Silicon Valley? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so I always think of entrepreneurs as the artists of the business world um, because I think art and entrepreneurship are their kindred spirits. I think the only difference between the entrepreneur and the artist is the entrepreneur is like, I want to make money. I mean, like they're almost solely focused on, oh, I want to make this a success. Um, and so, you know, the minimum viable product concept is the kind of the figuring out what ultimately is going to be the product. And, 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 and all entrepreneurs know that they don't know everything. They just don't. I mean, it's hard to know what people are going to buy. I mean, I'm taking a risk on putting out an audio book for the entrepreneur ethos. I don't know if anyone will listen to it or buy it, but I think it's an important thing to do. That's why I'm doing the podcast and getting all the, all the word out um, about why entrepreneurship is so important. Um, and so, yeah, like artists have a different, can have a different attitude about things because not they don't necessarily have a economic interest although my guess is secretly every artist is like god i wish i could be you know like famous or successful mm -hmm. or whatever or fame and success in their own way right like i think people find their own way with that uh, well isn't this kind of like what you talk about in the book why so many who um, do a startup, they reach a point where the next best thing to do is to sell the company off to somebody who is going to scale it and keep it going. And then, you know, the, the original startup guy, he either uh, enjoys what he's earned or he starts on a new project, but that the way he thinks he's better at starting that idea and developing it and getting it to work and then handing it off to somebody else who can run the business end of it. Yeah. Yeah, that's actually a really good point. Um, that's a astute observation. I'm so glad you read the book. <laughs> like I said, you're probably the you and my editor and myself are the probably the only people that have read it like multiple times. Um, but yeah, I, you know, in in the thing about art and entrepreneurship is that you know it, it'll never be perfect, and it really depends on what you're after. So if you're after recognition for your art or your creative process, then you may want to take more time to tweak it or, or, or you're afraid. Most times you're afraid. I mean, I personally get afraid to release something in the world, not because it may fail, but actually because it might be a massive success. And then now what do I do? <laughs> you know, like, right. Oh. Yeah. It's, it's like the dog that catches, it's, it's like the dog chasing the car. What happens if you actually catch it? You haven't thought that far ahead. Uh, yeah. Right. Right. So, <laughs> so for me, um, it sounds strange, but I actually have the fear of success more than the fear of failure. And when it comes to art and creativity and like what I produce as an example, um, I am way more comfortable with doing something and having it fail, not being perfect. I mean, my first book, Frustration-Free Technical Management, I mean, it, you know, it was a disaster in terms of its layout. I mean, it, you know, it, it wasn't that it wasn't as great as good as it could have been. But I put it out there and like took a risk on it. 
Um, I learned a lot. I learned I better hire a better editor. <laughs> you know, mm. that's like I learned my lesson. A good editor really means a lot. <laughs> it's it's the I mean, there you know the analogy is if you're the CEO of your creativity, your editor is your CTO, right? Because mm-hmm. they make sure that whatever you're putting out. I mean, in in like the the new book I'm working on, the memoir, um, Leslie, my editor is like, yeah, I'm so glad I have her because like there's certain things that you just don't know. So. The, the artistic process and being an artist, you sometimes don't have that feedback. Whereas with an entrepreneur, you usually have a co-founder. Um, you usually, you, you, you get to the point where you sort of in your gut know you can't take it to an, the next level. And then you have a choice. <laughs> like what mm. you said, do I sell it, move on, or do I keep on riding the rail until it falls off the cliff? And most people, because of ego or other constraints, um, sometimes ride it off the cliff. But I think the more, um, the more you create and the more you do things, the better you get, the more you put out in the world, even if it's not perfect, the better you get. And over time, what you put out gets better and better. Mm-hmm. And and you'll never know if it's better or better until you start putting it out there. Um, right. And that, that to me, that, that kind of gets back to that, the chapter on awkwardness. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, you were talking about the fear of success and that thing of actually launching it and see what it's going to do. And I wanted to ask you about the awkwardness thing, because, you know, I'm not a Silicon Valley guy. You know, I don't uh, have a subscription to Forbes. I don't have a collection of famous entrepreneur trading cards. So kind of my perspective on it is kind of just what you see in news and pop culture. Mm-hmm. And from what I see, some of the big wigs like Bill Gates or especially Mark Zuckerberg is that some of them really kind of seem to wear their awkwardness on their sleeve and just accept it as a part of the package of who they are. But then you got other guys like Steve Jobs or Elon Musk, who seem to have such a powerful personality that despite their eccentricities or maybe because it's intrinsically built into them because of their eccentricities, that they sort of push the awkwardness onto everybody else in the room, you know, here, I'll let you feel awkward being in the room with me. And, you know, you could even kind of include Robert Downey Jr.'s portrayal of Tony Stark in the movies, you know, this everypreneur who goes from cocky in public to almost like a savant in private. And would you say that those examples, my perspective might actually have some accuracy when it talking about relating to awkwardness as a trait among entrepreneurs. And do you have any other advice to share on awkwardness outside of what's already in the book or how awkwardness manifests itself in you and how you deal with it yourself aside from what you've already talked about? Yeah. I mean, you know, those are sort of, uh, I don't know, um, the Tony Starks, Elon Musk's, the Mark Zuckerberg's are sort of like examples of someone that's super, innovative, super successful and smart. And their view of the world is totally different from everyone else. By definition, they're going to be outside the status quo and they are going to, they're going to be awkward. They just have to be because part of this job being an entrepreneur is doing things no one's ever done before. And, And even an artist, I mean, I think the analogy is also there for an artist. A lot of artists are awkward. Not oh, Andy because, Warhol being a you know, <laughs> yeah, or in, probably the prime example. Yeah, I mean, just name name any major artist, and it's it's it, the, that awkwardness is because 
at least in my opinion, they are pushing outside the bounds of convention, the status quo, and what society wants to put you in the box, right? So um, all of those like people at some point in their life kind of had to just own the awkwardness. They had they had to realize that no one, not everyone's going to get it, and that they have to be okay with that. And that's the hardest part about being an entrepreneur. Because see, you know, if I go to a dinner party and I'm talking about what I do, most people are not going to, one, they're probably not going to understand it. Two, they're going to be like, that's weird. Or they're going to be in awe. Or three, they're going to be like, well, how do you make a living? <laughs> you know, what's, how do you like put dinner, you know, my, uh, food on the table? How do you pay your rent? Because they're not, they're probably not doing what I do, you know, because not a lot of people are entrepreneurs. Um, and that just sort of separates them. I mean, if you're someone that basically believes in your heart that you can change the world and you're going to go about doing it, you're going to put products and services in the marketplace that challenge the status quo. And, you know, you're going to get a lot of people looking at you like, who are you? You know, (laughs) like, and it's true. It's kind of like handing somebody a business card that says professional wizard on it, right? Uh, Yeah. I mean, and, and you, you've, there's countless examples of not only artists, but entrepreneurs who, you know, no one got what they did. They were too early. No one thought their stuff was any good. I mean, the the beautiful thing about, uh, you know, in Silicon Valley, uh, is there's a lot of like venture capitalists. There's one called Bessemer Ventures. And the nice thing about Bessemer Ventures is they have their, what they call their anti-portfolio, their anti-portfolio is companies they passed on investing that are wildly successful. Like I think Bessemer passed on like Microsoft and Google and like all these massive companies that like, why did you pass on <laughs> like Hewlett Packard, oh, right? That's that's all hindsight. But like you said, when somebody first brings you that idea and they're trying to explain it to you, if it's not been done before, it's really hard for somebody else to envision that and say, oh, I get it. Yeah. Yeah. Same with artists, right? Just imagine you're an author, you have an idea for a book or a novel, a nonfiction book. I mean, you know, you really don't know if anyone's going to like it per se. There's not a great feedback loop. There's really no minimum viable product for a book. Although you could blog it, you could give out, you know, sample things. But you're taking a huge risk. Not only taking a huge risk, but you're putting yourself out there and, you know, your idea may not be mainstream or it may be a different take on something. So, and you talking about it is going to feel weird because everyone's going to look at you like, what, <laughs> What's the, you know, what does that mean? So yeah, I think other examples, I mean, the Elon Musk's and the Mark Zuckerberg's are not fully representative of all the entrepreneurs in Silicon Valley. Um, no, they, they really come across almost more like, like movie characters, you know, uh, I think more than once people have made comparisons to like bond villains and stuff that <laughs> they that these guys are so different, so unique that they're their own archetype Yeah, and you, they can almost seem like caricature, you know, why does Zuck always wear the same t-shirt every single day? You yeah. Know? You know, uh, Steve, what's up with the turtlenecks, bro? Yeah, exactly. I mean, they're, and they're eclectic and they have their own brand. And people, I mean, people scrutinize every word they say or 
look at them. I mean, it, could, could you imagine, I just can't imagine how bad, I mean, how crazy it would be that, you know, people hang on your every word, right? That's like, that's a lot of, one, that's a lot of responsibility. And two, that's a little weird. I mean, it's awkward in itself, right? Like, could you imagine, what? you know, and can you imagine how hard it is to remain authentic yeah. and keep your integrity with all that scrutiny? I mean, think about, um, was Elizabeth Holmes? Yeah. Is that the lady Theranos? Yep. Yeah. And how fake she ended up being, you know, with her constructed persona, you know, with the, the, the whole European mogul look and the baritone voice and, and all of that. And, and the turtleneck, the turtlenecks. <laughs> and, and, and everybody could, yeah, right. And, and everybody could see, Hey, you're, you're posing lady. Uh, what's up with that? Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, that one's a pretty tough one to swallow. Um, I knew actually knew people that worked at Theranos. Uh, when I was in the digital health company, um, we would hear about them all the time because we were in the clinical laboratory space. So everyone's like, Oh, Theranos is going to make the clinical laboratory obsolete. And there's a lot of hype and a lot of, you know, a lot of PR around that. And I just remember talking to professionals and scientists and they're like, there's no way this thing works. There's just no way. It's physically impossible for it to work. And we're like, well, I mean, they've got what? $500 million in investment. Who are they bilking? And, right. And they're like, yeah. they're lying. They're lying, 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 and lying. And I'm all, really? Like how come it, no one's like vetted it? They, no, they won't let it. I mean, there, it was a deception upon a deception and it was awful because – you know, what they were trying to do was help speed up testing of blood. And a lot of people were relying on that and it fell apart. And it, it's different. So th th this is the distinction, right? It's different to be aggressive and assertive and like push the envelope and try to do something that's never happened before. And it's a full other way to, 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 to hide that it's not working right. That's like, that's the criminal. I mean, that's why they're being prosecuted and it's gone away, right? So it's sad, but there's a lot, you're right. There's a lot of people that get sucked into that persona. I mean, I think Elizabeth Holmes was the fastest billionaire, first woman billionaire CEO on Forbes. Some, I mean, the, the year before they literally said, you know, we're going to prosecute you. So and if she had held on to that integrity, if she had been authentic, she could have held on to that as her legacy, even if the even if the their machine didn't succeed. Still, if they had been honest about it, they maybe could have pushed the boundaries of the research and at least gotten a little closer than where they were, rather than you know running fake lab samples while they're showing everybody what looks like a copy machine. Yeah. Or running it through a traditional lab. Yeah. I mean, there's a right. lot to learn and a lot to uh, be shameful for as an entrepreneur. And, 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 you know, the community that allowed that to happen too. And, and, and look, I get it. Like when you're, I, I can't judge like the people that were there I actually had friends that were there. So they would tell me these things. Um, but I can't judge like as part of the group think that you're kind of think you can make it happen. Cause again, until it happens, it's fantasy and science fiction, right? I mean, clearly, like it, it takes a lot of time to to make some innovative. But the way that they kind of went about it, I I just don't agree with. I mean, it's not part of the integrity, part of the ethos. It's you know, it's a hard job to begin with, and if you have to continually like 
hide stuff <laughs> right makes the job even harder and then you'll lose integrity and then you know that that's actually a good idea and if someone could actually make it work that would benefit a lot of people but it's set that kind of technology back oh i don't know like a decade <laughs> i mean easily right right well and then yeah i guess if we want to try to segue that over toward acting um and throw the ball back to in in my court I've always suspected that a lot of the big time actors have a hard time maintaining integrity. I mean, once you reach a certain level of fame and success, you know, again, you get sucked into the public persona that, that people think of you. And on top of that, your business is pretending to be somebody else. And I imagine it can be a little hard to hold it all together. And, um, uh, last summer, I had a chance to do a, a an acting masterclass with Chuck Huber, hmm. who, among other things, has done a lot in the anime world. You know, he was uh, one of the androids in Dragon Ball, uh, Professor Stein in Soul Eater, Shao uh, Tucker in the Full Metal series. Uh, and for a guy who is known for playing monotone serial killers, he's got a whole lot of advice to offer about keeping mental balance and keeping mental health and keeping yourself grounded and centered. And uh, so I just wanted to throw a plug out there to Chuck on that and say, Hey, thank you, Chuck. <laughs> yeah. We, it's amazing the journey that we're all on and we have lots of different mentors and coaches and teachers along the way. And I think that's part of what I was trying to get at writing the book and, you know, it, it's important that if you learn something that you share it. And I mean, it seems like an odd thing to, to say, but I, I really do think that's important that that if if you've gone through something painful or you have some knowledge, uh, even if someone else has shared it before, you should probably share it because it's different. I mean, everyone has different learning styles. Everyone has different things they like. Um, you know, like I have no idea about anime <laughs> at all. So, but now I'm going to go, you know, I mean, you know, my, my, my future stepdaughter loves like, uh, the, um, the airbender series, you know, with, mm -hmm. um, Cora last airbender and, um, uh, what's his name? What's the main character? Uh, oh, Aang. Aang. Uh, yeah. Last yeah. Airbender. yeah. Last airbender. She loves that series. So that means that I, you know, occasionally will watch it with her and, you know, like pretty cool, you know, and, mm -hmm. and I think some of the voice actors in that series, I think one of them was, uh, on, uh, married with children. Um, what's his name? Oh, uh, Faustino. Yeah. But Dave, David Faustino. Yeah. David Faustino. And mm -hmm. you never, what you, you sit there and you're like, yeah, the voice sounds familiar. And then, you know, you see the credits, you're like, oh, my gosh, it's Bud. <laughs> From or, uh, you know, of course, you had the, the famous uh, Japanese actor Mako, who had a, a very large role in, in, the, in the series. And uh, Dante Basco, who was Rufio in, in the movie Hook from the 90s there with, uh, with Robin Williams. Wow. Yeah. Again, I, you know, I mean, and then I think even um, Mark Hamill's now doing a lot of stuff in mm -hmm. voice acting, which... I never knew until, you know, I, he, he, there was some other, you know, one of the many Star Wars is that come out, uh, you know, you could, Hey, that voice sounds familiar. So it's, right. it's, it's uh, fascinating how it all kind of blends together, I guess. Mm -hmm. 
And so how how have you how do you approach your your business? I mean, um, you're I'm assuming like a independent kind of contractor to find away voices. You have your what's the name of your company again? I forgot. Uh, Storyline Voiceover. Storyline Voiceover. And of course, you can find me at storylinevoiceover.com. That's all one word. Uh, I also uh, have a presence on Facebook, uh, Instagram, LinkedIn, slowly working my way into Twitter. I may only uh, pull back eventually to just a couple of uh, social media platforms. Um, as far as it goes, for the past several years, I've really been trying to build the craft and the technical aspects of, of, uh, editing, mastering. Uh, and now I'm only just now really starting to get into the business side. I just, uh, completed Mark Scott's, uh, voiceover playbook course. So, uh, shout out to Mark Scott. Hey, how you doing? <laughs> awesome. And learning the, the, the marketing techniques that specifically apply to voiceover and, and picking up the business end of things as I go. Huh. How has that been? I mean, do, do you have a business background or what did you do before you do, did voiceover? I've, I've got a, a long history of blue collar Joe jobs. You know, I was raised by a pack of wild truck drivers. And uh, <laughs> I love it. So, you know, regular middle class blue collar uh, work ethic, although as a youth, I was actually very laid back and sedentary. You know, I've not been the most ambitious person in the world. And so I'm really kind of late to the game. Uh, so at this point, a lot of this is honestly about desperation. You know, uh, if, if I could design my own world, I could just read or watch good stories and then talk about them all day, every day, but that's not how we live. And I'm going to say this with the chance of possibly killing the groove for your listeners, but I'm not at the spot yet where I feel like I'm an entrepreneur. And I, I would tell you right now, Gary Vaynerchuk would say that I'm not an entrepreneur yet because I still have a, a nine to fiver, you know, oh, I've got, okay. I still have the, uh, the 40 hour week that puts the regular paycheck on the table, even while I'm taking every scrap of free time and energy that I've got and fueling it into building a business that can fly on its own. So I have to tell you, I'm not really sure that I know what an entrepreneur feels like or is supposed to feel like. And I certainly wouldn't equate myself with a Silicon, uh, I'm, excuse me, I wouldn't equate myself with a Silicon Valley wizard or one of those guys in all the YouTube ads, you know, that's like, I discovered how to make gobs of passive income online. And if you buy my system the next year, you could be eating a solid gold Ferrari. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it doesn't work that way, but yeah. <laughs> no, I tried that once and it was a disaster, you know. <laughs> <laughs> usually get rich stuff is a disaster for sure mm -hmm. so I, i'm at that point where you know looking in the mirror there's that thing of you know you can sense that you're running out of time and mediocrity sucks and going back to what mark scott said he says if you're going to be a successful voice actor then you have to be a vopreneur wow and so okay uh, that's that's what I'm having to try to pick up now. And what makes it worth it for me to actually attempt this very massive sort of change is about purpose. 
goes back to that why that you talked about from the first chapter. And that as much as I enjoy consuming good stories, now it's a little different. Now I get to be a part of making a good story happen. You know, I get to help you tell your story and I get to help other authors and creators bring their stories to life. So now instead of just being a consumer, I get to be a storyteller and I get to live out my own story in the process. Yeah, no, that's a that's a great way to put it. I mean, I consider you an entrepreneur, so I know Gary Vee is all about go all in and burn the bridges and that's you just... gotta crush it bro <laughs> <laughs> and i love gary v and i think he's got a good sense of like his brand so his brand obviously is the whole get out of your own way blah 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 mm-hmm. and, and 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 some of that stuff is really good advice but most entrepreneurs start out like you they've got a nine to five they're like uh, is this it? Is this the whole that my whole world is wrapped up in like having other people tell me what to do, building someone else's wealth? You know, I don't it's not I mean, you may love your job and a lot of people do. Like I'm not saying that nine to five is a bad thing or, you know, working whatever you gotta work, but No, and I certainly wouldn't disrespect any of the people that have offered me a chance to uh to make a living and, and take care of my family and, and you know, hey, kudos to all of them. Uh but time to do something a little different now. Time to chart one's own course and, and see what happens. Yeah, totally. And I think you're doing it the right way. Um, I, I th- th- There's a point where you burn the bridges. Well, not burn the bridges where you're like, oh, crash the boat. I'm staying on the island. But that's different for a lot of different people. I mean, a lot of entrepreneurs have side hustles that turn into the real hustle or you know, cause, cause again, you've got responsibilities. It's not like it's just you, you know, and you can like couch surf on a, on a friend's couch all day. Like if you've got responsibilities, you have to be responsible and, and that's a good way to go. I think. Right. So, you know, before you take that step up, you want to make sure that you got a little bit of a solid foundation under your feet. You don't want to fall too far. And this gets back to that chapter that you uh, wrote on risk, which I've, that was a really big takeaway from me. Uh, you know, looking at the material in the book, you know, there's a lot of talk about risk taking in the entrepreneurship world. And to hear your take on it, that it's not as risky as a lot of folks think it is. And that especially guys like me that have a job and, and try to build their business slowly tend to not, they're not risking as much because they have a fallback in place. And so, you know, it was, it was an odd thing to me to hear that entrepreneurship is not as much an all or nothing thing as we dramatize it to be that the, not very many of us are those Philippe Petit higher high wire walkers, you know, traversing the world trade center and that our fears aren't usually what we make them out to be, which is something that carries over into voiceover. You know, when you're acting, when you're being somebody that's not you, there is some risk to that. And that's even just aside from the business. This is even more about the craft that to be able to act successfully so that you can build a business, there's some risk there because you're, you have to be willing to be vulnerable. You know, how am I supposed to know what a Martian mercenary feels like? Or 
how do I relate to a Chinese orphan growing up in Mao's cultural revolution? Or, you know, uh, how do I get inside the head of a supervillain wielding elemental darkness? Or, you know, a little girl trying to survive the zombie apocalypse. I've had to meet those challenges. <laughs> and to do it, there's a thing of, about getting out of your head. Uh, that one goes to Everett Oliver uh, of MyBoothDirector.com. Thanks, Everett. <laughs> yeah. About getting into the moment, getting into the role, and you just commit to jumping in the deep end with both feet. And knowing that we tend to not risk as much as we think we're risking actually takes out some of the fear. And at least for me, if I screw it up, I can always record another take. Yeah. Wow. David, I think that's a great place to end. Just a wonderful conversation. So happy with how the book came out. Can't wait to get it in people's hands or ears. Uh, really appreciate your time, all the insights and, uh, yeah, stay safe and stay in touch. Well, Jari, it's been a very great honor and a pleasure to work on this project with you. And I just hope that everybody listening to this podcast, they're going to share this podcast. They're going to go buy the book. They're going to buy the audio and that they're going to learn some things that, that may really help them improve some things in their life. E even if they're not entrepreneurs, even just having an ethical system in place by which they operate that in itself is, is going to be a big thing that, that will help you traverse some, some tricky places as you go through life and conduct your business. So true. So true. Thanks again. Yes, sir. This book will describe the challenges that the status quo, part one, presents to entrepreneurs and then detail the traits, part two, values, part three, and beliefs, Part 4. That Successful Entrepreneurs Must Engender and Embrace to Overcome the Many Challenges They Will Face in Creating the Great Ideas, Products, and Services that Will Make Our World a Better Place. Part 5. The thing to realize is that without entrepreneurs, many of the greatest and most significant innovations we rely on daily would not exist. Mobile phones, streaming audio and video, online software, electric cars, self-driving cars, etc. Even corporate failures like AltaVista, Webvan, and Pets.com paved the way to make our lives better. That's why it's critical to set forth an ethos that provides a framework to enable all entrepreneurs to have a shot at success. For most entrepreneurs, success is not measured by the size of their bank account or by being on the cover of Fast Company. All those perks are great, but they're fleeting. In fact, most will never see the stellar returns of an Apple, Microsoft, Facebook, YouTube, or Instagram. That's reality. Success, for most entrepreneurs, is being able to create their own lives on their own terms. It's more about freedom, creativity, and overcoming challenges than money, fame, and prestige. The true reward of entrepreneurship is being able to do your own thing in your own way. That's not to say that every entrepreneur does not want stellar returns for their investors or a shot at creating a unicorn. In reality, the odds of doing that are stacked against them no matter how smart, how well-funded, or how connected they may be. 
To help you on the journey through the entrepreneur ethos, let me give you a little more detail on each of the parts. Part 1 will explore the challenges to the status quo that get in the way of an entrepreneur's success. These challenges are yourself, friends and family, talent, technology, technique, timing, customers, competitors, investors, and government. Each and every one of these will challenge you at some point. The many and varied battles against the status quo are what every entrepreneur must overcome and win to have a shot at becoming successful. Part 2 is about the traits of entrepreneurs. I started with traits because those are the most outward-facing characteristics of successful entrepreneurs. These traits are what we most often admire from afar and try to emulate. Part 3 goes through the values that entrepreneurs must embrace and hold dear. These values are what define the culture and show how entrepreneurs can hook into it. These values provide the personal framework in which entrepreneurs operate. Part 4 details the beliefs that entrepreneurs should adhere to. A belief system is at the core of the ethos, and without a solid understanding of what entrepreneurs believe, it will be difficult to understand how to navigate ethically and operate successfully. Part 5 is called Dents in the Universe from a famous Steve Jobs talk about how entrepreneurs aspire to make their own mark on the world. This part includes examples of how entrepreneurs have applied the traits, values, and beliefs to overcome the challenges that got in their way. It will also show how the entrepreneur ethos is relevant, necessary, and sufficient in a wide variety of real-world situations. Along with successes, I have also included examples of times when entrepreneurs failed or strayed from the ethos. These examples are used to emphasize the importance of holding ourselves to a higher standard. I chose these specific topics because they are easily identifiable and most readers will already have some knowledge about them. I'm glad you've chosen to join me in this journey to explore what it means to be an entrepreneur. You will discover why it's important that the entrepreneur community have an ethos, a set of guiding principles to believe in, adhere to, and prosper from. By holding ourselves to a higher standard, we can not only create fantastic businesses, but also better serve the communities in which we live with honor and integrity. Thanks for listening to the Entrepreneur Ethos Podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did creating it. My hope is that you learned something that can make you a little bit better. If you enjoyed the podcast, please do share it with friends and review it on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You can also join my email list by visiting theentrepreneurethos.com to get my thoughts on what I'm doing to get better, as well as what I'm working on. You can also pick up my book, The Entrepreneur Ethos, if you want to learn the traits, values, and beliefs that I think we need to build a more ethical, inclusive, and resilient entrepreneur and, frankly, world community. Feel free to follow me on Twitter at The Daily MBA and let me know if you have any questions or recommendations for a guest you'd like me to talk to. Also, drop me a note if you try anything we talked about on this or any other episode. I'd love to hear what's working for you. Until next time, keep getting better.
Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945.